We'll be in Acts chapter 8. This morning, if you don't have a Bible, words will be on the screen behind me. Also, in our uh, church app, there's a sermon listening guide. You can follow along there as well. The scripture's printed there as well. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water and Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. As a deaf child, former NFL star Kenny Walker always felt like an outsider. But as he matured, his body grew and he became strong, athletic. His knowledge of football, his focus uh, landed him in in a high school on a team excelling. He became a great high school football player as a deaf man. And colleges started to show interest as he got to be a senior. And his coach asked him, Kenny, where would you like to play college football? And he, you know, signed the language, sign language in for Nebraska. And that's indeed where he ended up playing. Nebraska recruited him. They gave him a scholarship. And as soon as he got on campus at every practice and game, they had an interpreter there for him. Had an amazing college career. Was an All-American, Big 8 Conference Defensive Player of the Year, and then went on to play in the NFL. But towards the end of his college career, like most schools do on his last home game, they honor the seniors. And what is normally an exciting time for these seniors as it's their last run out of the tunnel, last run onto the field with a chat, the the crowd going crazy and cheering, this would be yet one more moment for Kenny where he felt like an outsider because he wouldn't be able to hear 
the crowd cheering as he ran out for the last time. He grew up an outsider. He felt like an outsider. He felt different. Any of you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like an outsider? Maybe you walked into this room this morning and pretty quickly felt like an outsider. You walk in, you look around, and you see a bunch of people that seem to have it all put together. And you know deep down, you don't have it put together. If that's you, understand that we're all outsiders. And this passage is a beautiful passage written to outsiders like you and me. It answers the question, to whom does the good news of Jesus belong? To whom does the gospel belong? First, it belongs to our sovereign God. One of the themes that comes out of this story is the sovereignty of God, specifically as it relates to the good news of Jesus making it to a person. Right? How does the good news of Jesus make it to this Ethiopian eunuch? It starts in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. Now we'll unpack this further, but in those times, Ethiopia was seen as the ends of the earth. Philip was sent to a place that was well off the beaten path. And this was probably shocking to Philip because he was currently, before going to this Ethiopian eunuch in the desert, he was in Samaria, this bustling, booming city that was being transformed by the gospel. He shared the good news. People are coming to Christ. I mean, this city is changing. And then God sends him into the middle of nowhere. Probably not what Philip would have dialed up for himself if he was making the decisions. God sends him to the middle of the desert because the gospel, the good news of Jesus was making its way to this Ethiopian eunuch who at this moment didn't know that God was pursuing him. Then verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So spirit, Philip gets to the desert. Then the spirit says, I want you to go over alongside that chariot. Philip comes up alongside the chariot and the man is reading from the prophet Isaiah and note what he's reading from Isaiah in verse 32. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. This is from Isaiah 53. Understand what's happening here. The Spirit of God sends Philip from the booming, bustling, things are happening, lives are being changed in Samaria to the middle of nowhere. Then brings him alongside this chariot, and it just happens at that exact time that this Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the section in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, that speaks most directly to the suffering Jesus. God is sovereign. 
and he is moving the gospel where he wants it to go. Remember the situation here. The apostles, who were the elders of this early church, they're back in Jerusalem. With the apostles or not, God is going to fulfill his plan to bring the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. I love the way that Ben Witherington puts it as he uh, does commentary on this passage. He says, the human leaders of Christianity in Jerusalem could only try to catch up with the plan of God, which was operating often apart from and quite beyond their control. I was a senior at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, and I was planning to go to grad school. I had applied to a bunch of grad schools, and I had made the decision. I was within hours of making the phone call, signing the letter of acceptance. I'd gotten a research assistantship offer from Virginia Tech, and I was going to go to Virginia Tech. I'm coming back from class one day, coming back to the place where I lived and was preparing to sign the letter, mail it off, make the phone call. And one of my friends who lived in the same place stopped me. He said, hey, Keith, how's the grad school search going? He was applying to grad school as well. I said, it's good. I'm going to Virginia Tech. I'm calling him. I'm going up to call him right now. And he said, didn't you apply to the University of Texas at Austin? I said, yes, but it's a reach school. It was one of the best schools in the nation for the area that I was studying. I said, I, I have, and I haven't gotten anything. I don't expect to be accepted from them. And uh, he said, well, at least call them before you say yes to Virginia Tech. So I pick up the phone, I call them. They're like, yes, we just sent you an offer in the mail. You should get it in a week. Now, that's only the beginning of the story of how God sent me to Austin, Texas. Because once I got there, he sent a man named Brandon into my life to share the good news of Jesus with me. And my life has never been the same. My life has never been the same. The gospel moves where God wants it to move and God moves people where he moves them to hear the gospel. The question is, to whom is God sending you with the good news of Jesus? To whom is God sending you with the good news of Jesus? And if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, how have you been maybe denying God's pursuit by attributing things to coincidence? There are no coincidences. You are here this morning because God wants you here. You're in that Bible study, maybe investigative Bible study group because God wants you there. You're in a certain women's group because God wants you there. You're in a community group because God wants you there. You're in your neighborhood next to a neighbor, not on accident. You're at work next to a coworker, not on accident. Gospel's moving. God of the universe is in pursuit of you because he loves you and he made you. The good news of Jesus belongs to our sovereign God. But second, the good news of Jesus belongs to all kinds of people. All kinds of people. Now, who was this Ethiopian eunuch? Verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. 
He had come to Jerusalem to worship. This man was on the fringes. He was an outsider looking in for several reasons. Number one, he was a eunuch. Now, what does that mean? In ancient times, they would castrate people who were in charge of the king's harem or who had regular contact with the queens. I'll keep it PG for obvious reasons. This man had no children. He had no immediate family. He was an outsider. But the second reason that he was an outsider is he was a Gentile God-fearer, meaning he was not a Jew. He was not a part of the covenant community of God's people. He was a Gentile, but he was a God-fearer, meaning he had interest in God, an interest in worshiping God. That's why he made his way to Jerusalem for this annual feast so that he could worship God. But we learn in Deuteronomy 23, verse one, that eunuchs were restricted from the religious privileges that the community of God's people had. So he was officially and formally kept from certain religious practices because he was a eunuch. He was an outsider. Third reason, I've mentioned it already, Ethiopia was in that day, and in the ancient writings, it was known as the ends of the earth. And on top of that, this Ethiopian was an African, which means he was ethnically different. So the deck is stacked against him. He's an outsider looking in. One of the major themes of this story and one of the major themes that Luke is trying to communicate in writing this story is that the gospel is for all kinds of people. All kinds of people. Earlier this semester in our community group, we were studying, as all of our groups are, this gospel-centered community. And we were talking about how the good news of Jesus gives birth to real, authentic, vulnerable communities of people. And I believe it was this question that prompted the response I'm going to share with you from our group. The question was, what keeps us from experiencing real, vulnerable community? And one of the women in our group said, as I look around, I feel very different than all of you. I've got a broken background and I look around and I just don't see many who I think relate to my background. And she said, it's not because you all aren't honest. We're an honest group. But she said, I was a drug addict in college. And now she's a single mom. And she said, I look around, I don't see many of you that were probably drug addicts in college. And it was a beautiful moment for people to step up and say, you know what? I wasn't a drug addict in college, but let me tell you what kind of addict I was. I had to be in a dating relationship all the time. 
to make myself feel worthy. And so I was in and out of relationships all throughout college, many abusive and toxic, weren't good for me. For someone to say, let me tell you what kind of addict I was. I had to get straight A's. I had to make Dean's List to make a name for myself. And so I studied all the time and it put me in very unhealthy and dangerous places of isolation. You see, the reason our lives don't functionally communicate that the gospel's for all kinds of people is because we rate more and less acceptable or respectable sins. So a drug addiction would fall in the less acceptable, less respectable category. But working crazy long hours at work to build a career falls in the more respectable, more acceptable category. One leads to worldly failure. One leads to worldly success. But when you peel the layers back on both of those very different looking scenarios, you find the same issue. Why are you addicted to drugs? Why are you addicted to working long hours? Or why are you always in a relationship? When you ask that question, you get to the core answer, which is the same heart struggle. There's a deep sense of inadequacy and emptiness in all of us. And we look to find it filled in di different ways other than Jesus. And we don't functionally believe that Jesus is enough to satisfy the deepest longings of the soul. And so we search elsewhere. If you look around and you feel like you don't belong, I want to encourage you to look past the facade that either that person's creating or that maybe you're creating. And when you look past the facade, here's what you're going to find and realize. Number one, no one has it all together. Nobody, no matter what it looks like on the outside. And number two, when you get past the facade, you see the same heart struggle, the same sin, the same desire to find significance apart from Jesus and the same need for Jesus. I was talking to a friend the other day about children and specifically that awkward stage in middle school and early high school where kids are trying to fit in socially. And he was making the comment, there's the obvious kid or child that's not in the mainstream or not in the popular group that is always on the outside looking in, trying to fit in. And it's those kind of kids that come home at night and fill their bed with tears. And then he had a conversation with a parent who was a parent of a child that was in the mainstream crowd and in the popular crowd. And that parent said, it would surprise you to know how many times my daughter fills her bed with tears at night because she gets pushed out of the crowd and doesn't feel like she belongs. We are all outsiders. No matter what kind of facade that you wear, what kind of put togetherness that you wear or see in others, peel back the layers, and we are all on the outside looking in, deeply insecure, feeling a sense of inadequacy about who we are. That is the common ground. 
The good news of Jesus is for all kinds of people. The good news of Jesus belongs to a sovereign God who's bringing the gospel into people's lives. The good news belongs to all kinds of people. But finally, the good news belongs to empty people. Empty people. Philip comes up alongside this chariot. Here is this Ethiopian eunuch reading aloud, which was not strange in that day. In ancient times, reading out loud was common. He's reading Isaiah 53, and then he begins to explain to the eunuch what he's reading, starting in, in verse 32, which is the sheep led to the slaughter. He explained to him, this is a picture of Jesus Christ, the one who was led to the crucifixion, led as a lamb for the slaughter, to die in the place of sinners as a sacrifice. But then you go on to verse 33, and 33 is very interesting in how it relates specifically to this eunuch. Verse 33, who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now on the surface, this seems to describe this suffering servant dying prematurely without offspring, without children, which on the surface absolutely connects to this eunuch's place in life. But when you read that through the deeper lens, it's communicating something very different. For his life is taken away from the earth. That's referring to Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. And the question, who can describe this generation? This is a question of amazement. Who can describe this generation? Amazement over the indescribable number of Christ's spiritual offspring because of his resurrection. Now here is this eunuch who has no children, no immediate family, who already feels like an outsider in Judaism, and yet who is about to have immeasurable brothers and sisters and a huge spiritual family. This eunuch, upon placing his trust in Christ, is going to immediately have brothers and sisters and a huge family. He's going from empty to full. No wonder he left rejoicing. Gordon MacDonald tells the story of going to a small group of men and women who were meeting for an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And he went because he had friends who were recovering alcoholics. And he wanted to see what they were experiencing in a meeting like this. And this is what he experienced. He got there and he said, there was this woman who was probably in her mid-30s, Kathy, who was there for the first time. He said when he looked at her, he saw a woman who was probably Hollywood beautiful at age 21 but now her cheeks were swollen, her eyes were red, her teeth were rotting, her hair hadn't been brushed in a long time. 
And she said, I've been in five states in the past month. I've slept under bridges on several nights, been arrested, raped, robbed, and now she's just weeping, barely able to talk. I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore. She said, I can't stop drinking. I can't stop drinking. And then Gordon described this beautiful moment. There was a rather large woman sitting next to Kathy named Marilyn. And Marilyn reached over, put her hands around Kathy's head, pulled her in close. And Gordon said he was close enough to hear what she said into Kathy's ear. She said, honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. We can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. You hear me? Keep coming. What a beautiful picture of the tenderness and the affection with which Jesus Christ welcomes in broken sinners who are on the outside looking in. And what a beautiful picture of what the church is to be with arms open to outsiders, open to people who look different, who act different, who are different because the church understands that we're all outsiders who have received the embrace of Jesus Christ. This eunuch who could have no children suddenly had a huge family and suddenly had his emptiness filled by Jesus Christ. No wonder he left rejoicing. But to experience the fullness of Christ, this eunuch had to embrace a different form of emptiness. He had his circumstantial emptiness, which we all have. Everyone has some form of circumstantial emptiness. But this eunuch had to embrace a different kind of emptiness, a heart emptiness. Remember who he was. He was the treasurer of the kingdom of Ethiopia. He was a person of great power, a person of great wealth. He was an important person. And yet he came to God not as an important person not as a powerful man, not as a wealthy man. He came to God as a sinner. The, the humility that you see in this eunuch as God is drawing his heart is profound. He asks a stranger to explain to him the Bible. This is a man who did all the explaining. This is a man who told everyone what to do and explained to everyone what to do, didn't know what to do. But here he is, humble, asking this man that he didn't even know to explain the Bible to him. And then submitting himself to the stranger for baptism. You can't experience the fullness of Christ until you embrace your utter emptiness apart from him. In his wonderful little book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Tim Keller describes this story growing up in his school days. He says in, in, in school days, his mom would say something to him like, hey, Tim, why don't you join the chess club? 
And Tim would say, Mom, I hate chess. She'd say, well, I know, but it'd look good on your college application. And then she'd say, hey, Tim, you know, don't they downtown on Saturday mornings uh, hand out food to the homeless and to the hungry? Why don't you consider doing that? He'd say, Mom, I hate doing that kind of thing. And she'd say, I know, I know, but it'd look good on your college application. He describes how he did a lot of things that he didn't want to do to build a college application. That's what our egos are doing all the time. Our egos are building self-esteem resumes to try to make up for the inadequacy and the emptiness that we feel deep inside. The problem is your ego and your ego building resume is what will actually keep you from God, not earn your way into his favor. The most offensive behavior to God, one of the most offensive behaviors to God is when you bring your resume to his throne. Because your resume is a rejection of the gift of his son, Jesus, who came to ultimately give you a perfect resume. He died for your imperfect resume and lived a perfect life to give you that perfect resume. But you don't get that by building your ego or building your own resume. You get that resume by confessing your utter emptiness and receiving by faith alone Jesus. So the question is, have you come to the end of your ego building rope? Or have you come to the end of your resume building rope? And aren't you at the place to embrace your utter emptiness so that you can take hold of Jesus Christ. Fullness of joy awaits. Kenny Walker was standing in that tunnel underneath Nebraska's stadium. And because they called out the seniors alphabetically, as always, he was towards the end, he was last. He was the last senior to get called. And while he watched all of his fellow seniors get called and run out, to a cheering crowd, he could, couldn't hear, but he could feel the vibration of the stadium. And finally, it was his turn. And he runs out of the tunnel and suddenly the, the stadium wasn't vibrating. What he didn't know is that Nebraska had arranged for a very creative way for Kenny to be cheered for. They ran an article they sent out to all and asked all the fans that would be attending that game to learn in sign language how to clap and how to give an applause. You do that by holding your hands up, spreading your fingers, and, and just kind of moving your, your hands back and forth. So Kenny's running out of the tunnel. No more vibrations in the stadium. He gets out, he's puzzled. He stops. And he starts looking around. And there's 75,000 fans giving him a standing ovation in only the way a deaf person would understand. That is a picture of heaven 
when one sinner repents and confesses their utter emptiness and comes to Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful picture of what the church should be with open arms to outsiders, people who are different and broken and sinful and empty, open arms because the church understands what it is to be an outsider because everyone's an outsider. That the church has understood that they're embraced by Jesus Christ. Oh, Christ Church East, would we be that kind of church? And if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, Christ's arms are wide open, ready to embrace you. Let's pray. Father, we confess our sin, our brokenness, our emptiness. We confess we're outsiders looking in oftentimes. And yet in our emptiness, our brokenness, you sent your son Jesus to become an outsider in our place. You sent your son Jesus to empty himself so we could be filled. Father, would you fill us with your son by your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us with joy? And Father, if there's those that are here this morning who have never embraced their utter emptiness and taken hold of you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you draw them to faith in Christ? And Father, would you make us a church community that has arms wide open to broken sinners and to outsiders just like us? We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.